Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. My brand new book, Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth, is now available. So much more than a book, this is a guide that allows me to hold your hand through your birth preparation journey. With over a decade of experience and knowledge packed in to ensure you really are empowered in the way you deserve to achieve a positive birth, regardless of the twists and turns that crop up. Make sure that you get your hands on Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth Book now and are empowered to have the birth experience that you deserve. One in four women give birth by cesarean. And it really is about Hello, time we made sure that every woman Pip who podcast. gives birth abdominally of my feels in she has had an individualised, empowered and, and truly a positive cesarean birth. Positive I'm super excited to be joined this week by the wonderful Amy Lane, award-winning digital editor for Women's Health, host of Welfare, an inspirational running podcast and author of I Can Run. But on top of all of this incredible work, Amy is also mum to two beautiful boys, Huxley, and more recently, she welcomed little Bo into the world through a gentle cesarean section birth. And I cannot wait to talk about this experience and ways in which we can help assure that a cesarean is a positive birthing experience for all. So welcome, Amy, and thank you so much for managing to squeeze me into the mum life juggle. I'm very grateful. Oh, thanks for having me back on. I'm I'm happy to speak to an adult. <laughs> That's so true, isn't it? Um, yeah, you are a repeat guest, which is exciting. But we're on like a completely different topic this time, which is super personal to you. Um, and I guess the journey that you've been on recently, and I totally appreciate the speaking to an adult, singing nursery rhymes just isn't the same, is it? <laughs> I've sang wheels on the bus, I would say, probably about 50 times in the past 24 hours. And we've got to the point where we're now having to do various animals on the bus because there's just not enough things on the bus to do. It is amazing Um, what you can get on that bus. Finley's got a a little book that you press a button and it like sings the theme tune, but he now knows how to press the button. So we just have the theme tune of wheels on the bus going on repeat. (laughs) Hilarious. Oh, it's all good fun. Now, Amy, I know you've spoken beautifully openly about your, I guess, lead up to your gentle cesarean birth and the actual experience itself. But I just wondered before we delve into what your birth looked like and what women can do who may also be having a planned cesarean, is where was your headspace at prior to your birth? Because I know it wasn't plan A for you, was it a cesarean? No, it really, yeah, it really wasn't. And um, so, with my first boy Huxley, um, twenty months ago, so I've had, I've, I'm doing the two under two. Um, <laughs> I'd planned for a gen, a natural birth, um, as well as natural as it could possibly be. And I've now realised I hate using the term natural and birth because I just feel like 
all births should be seen as natural and there's just different ways um, to bring babies into the world. And that's something that I have to keep reminding myself mm -hmm. to keep me in a good headspace about um, things that my journey, I suppose, my motherhood journey. Um, but with him, I ended up having a really traumatic birth. Um, I got diagnosed with obstetric cholestasis late on in my pregnancy with him and it wasn't my levels my acid levels weren't high enough for them to intervene but it was it was something that had been flagged anyway I went into natural labor at 37 and 5 with him so a couple of weeks early if you like and I went into natural labor at home um, and then I went up the hospital quite early because I needed to have a blood test and anyway I was all prepared in my head to have this like water birth and it all to be very calm and unfortunately it didn't didn't happen like that and I ended up in theatre um, in quite a traumatic situation and but Huxley sorry I keep getting the name <laughs> keep using their names. two under two <laughs> two under two and um, Huxley had three days in um, special care we were both in for a week and it was it just left me with real mental scars and he was really poorly actually for those three days and when I came to being pregnant again we tried to do a bit more of a like unpicking what happened um, and there was definitely things that happened which were happened in the moment that should not have happened and there's been unfortunately a big investigation into it but there was probably a but obstetric cholestasis probably also played a part in that delivery, which nobody really knew at the time that actually Huxley was in so much distress. And there is, you know, there is thought that actually that could have been linked to the obstetric cholestasis. So when that reared its ugly head again in this mm -hmm. pregnancy, and um, I bet that I was got, like just like a kick in the teeth when you got that diagnosis. Well, it was because I'd done so much physical and mental prep to get myself in a good place for this birth. And I was under the home, um, the home birth team. And I was talking to the, you know, I was still seeing the psychologists and everything was kind of, we had these, I would say plans. I hate using the word plans because they are more preferences, but we basically put together this kind of like, plan for all the different scenarios and how I could feel safe and how we could create a safe environment and so I was like really really ready to to have him at home if I could and if not to be back in the hospital but um not in the same theater that I'd gone into previously and then at 39 weeks no so at 38 weeks the itching started again which is one mm -hmm. of the signs of cholestasis and I went into the hospital and um, they did my levels, but they were like, oh, they're, they're not that high. You know, you're fine. Um, but we want to repeat the bloods in three days time. So I was like, OK, brilliant. And so I was still under the care of the home. I was still under the care of the home care team. And then I went back in for my repeat bloods again. And they said, oh, they've gone up a little bit. Let's repeat them again in a few days time. Um, in fact, I think it was a week's time. Yeah. So sorry, I've it's all kind of the weeks just jumped it's they, all, when you're yeah it's all jumping <laughs> so it all it all started again at 36 and a half weeks and then I got tested and then it was a week later and then they did two more tests anyway it got to the point where um by their dates because my dates and their dates didn't quite sync up but by their dates I was 39 weeks and the levels had just gone 
the wrong side of um, what they felt safe with. And although, you know, the risk of stillbirth didn't jump dramatically, there was still this slightly increased risk of stillbirth. And because of what happened last time, I just didn't want to take any risks with having going through a labor and having a baby who was really distressed. Mm. Um, and I didn't want to also be induced with the um, with the hormone drip because that's what I had last time, even though I'd gone into natural labor because I had so much meconium in my waters, they wanted to speed it up. So I got put on the hormone drip. And I feel like for me, that was just like the start of a chain reaction of errors and um, just choices, which looking back on it, I wish I hadn't made. Mm -hmm. And so when I got this diagnosis with Bo, I just knew that actually I just wanted him here safely. And for me, when I was looking at all the research, the safest way to get him here was to go into a managed cesarean. Um, situation which is what I did and I was really really fortunate that um, it was a consultant who'd seen me a couple of times in the day assessment unit and so she gave me the news and when she gave me the news she was really really fantastic because she was very sympathetic and empathetic to my situation because I've obviously got a notes file like like a Harry Potter book I think <laughs> um, which probably has a big red stamp on the front which says fragile um oh, but she, treat, treat with TLC <laughs> yeah treat with TLC and she um so she kind of delivered the diagnosis and said you know this is the situation what do you want to do I know you don't want to do the induction like our thoughts are we would you know like you to go for a cesarean um and I'm going to talk to my colleagues who are going to be here next week and make sure they know your backstory um and we're going to make this as positive for you as um as we can and so that was that so then I was booked in so I went from on the Thursday still thinking I was having a home birth but being aware of the fact that I had this kind of complication in the mm. background to being booked in for them going no your levels are too high and being booked in for a planned cesarean on the Monday so wow. yeah it was quite it was quite a last minute change and it wasn't something that I'd really prepared for because in my head I just thought you know second birth I'd had one baby vaginally yes it was really complicated and traumatic but you know everything seemed to be stacked in my favor for like um, a calm vaginal birth and then obviously didn't happen planned c-section a massive like headspace shift isn't it like a huge I know you kind of started to to perhaps prepare that plan a may start to move but was there still like a hope that actually the blood would be okay and you'd be able to have that home birth? Was there always that like little bit of a hope until you had that initial conversation? Yeah, there really was. And I think there was, I think there's two reasons for it. So I think one of the reasons was I felt like I still needed that birth experience. I still needed to be in, um, in a pool with the fairy lights you know, doing the breathing and the affirmations because I just feel like that I've always grieved that birth that I never had. Mm. And so that was really hard because it was suddenly like that's off the table. And then the other part of it was um, 
Hang on a minute, sorry. I've just forgotten the question. Midway <laughs> through, answering. <laughs> God, you can tell that I've got two children and one's three months old, can't you? Sorry. Absolutely fine. Where were we talking about? about? <laughs> yeah, I love it. Um, so that kind of hope that, that you would still have that plan A birth up yeah. until that point. Yes. So, yeah. So that's how we that reason, that Exactly. That I felt like I still needed that birth because I was, I grieved it from my first pregnancy mm-hmm. and I wanted it to be um, really, really healing. And I just, I don't know. I just, I still felt a little bit like my body had failed me, even though I'd done all of that work. And then the second part of it, when it was such a shift was being quite, being quite apprehensive about having surgery and then having like an 18 month at home um and that that was just that was terrifying to me because I've got a brilliant brilliant partner who really really does pitch in and he does as much as he can around his full-time job um but there are still things that you know he I felt like he couldn't he wouldn't be able to do like for instance when Huxley wants comforting and he just wants his mum, I just still wanted to be able to give that to him. And the thought of not being able to lift him in and out of his cot for six weeks or do bath time and just being a little bit marooned where we live, um, not being able to go out and see people unless I could get a lift because you can't drive. And so that was just that whole kind of like, actually, I'm not going to be up and about straight away after having my baby and what does the next six weeks looks like that took a lot of kind of like mental energy to kind of process I suppose and to plan and to try and make going into the c-section on the Monday a positive um a positive experience but what I would say is to be completely honest the three days between booking the c-section and arriving at the hospital were quite emotional um imagine yeah and I just didn't because it just wasn't my plan and I just really struggled with it and so there was so many tears um but then when I got there I knew it was the right choice and deep down I did know it was the right choice it was just it was processing it that was um that was tough it was tough one of the things you said there Amy which is something I hear all the time and in all honesty is probably the reason for my podcast my courses my page all the stuff I put out there is what you said about you felt like your body had failed you because you didn't have that that birth that we see on like the adverts for hypnobirthing courses and that I think is really interesting because I hear that honestly Amy I hear that all of the time all of the time and I just think as women, we are ridiculously hard on ourselves because how on earth can our bodies fail us when they have created and grown a whole new human life? And then we go through things like, you know, general anesthetics, major abdominal surgery, hours and hours of exhausting labors. We go through all that and then we feel like we're failures when what we've just done Mm. is like, like absolutely incredible. One of the hardest things, one of the the furthest we're ever going to push our bodies physically and psychologically. And then we're like, oh, we failed. And if that was our best friend, there is no way we would speak to him in that way. We'd be like, oh my goodness, you were incredible. Like, I'm so proud of you. But when it's us, we're like, rubbish, that was awful. And like, and I just, and I hear it all the time for women who perhaps plan a water birth and may opt to have an epidural or, you know, they get to the end of their labor and, and they have forceps or like, you know, they go for a scheduled or planned cesarean birth. 
And I just think how, you know, a cesarean's major abdominal surgery, to go through that to save your baby's life is like the most courageous thing we can ever do. And I think we really, like you said at the beginning, have to start recontextualizing the way we look at birth because there are so many ways that it can look. And actually only a very small minority of births look like we see on the hypnobirthing adverts. But if we only prepare for that, where does that leave us? Like if we've decided that's all it's going to look like, we've got nowhere to go if it's not like that. If we're in that, you know, that large percentage where it doesn't go to plan A, we've, we've got nowhere to turn, have we? No, and it's hard, isn't it? Because when you're doing the hypnobirthing courses, um, which I really respect and they, you know, they did teach me a lot, um, you're told to shut out all of what is, seen as a negative um, birth story Mm. and I actually realized that when I was preparing for like my second birth that I didn't actually find that personally I didn't find that that helpful because actually all I was being exposed to were kind of almost like textbook births Mm. and actually you know I think that's why I also found it really hard to process my first birth um, because it was so far from that experience that and obviously it was really traumatic and you know I am one in a hundred thousand apparently um so you know just just the odd you want to be in when it comes to birth right (laughs) it's not the lottery (laughs) I know um an accolade I really didn't want um but when it came to preparing for my second birth I felt like I needed to have actually a better awareness of all types of birth because by only reading and you know by only reading and exposing myself to the births that didn't have any challenges or complications then actually if things didn't go that way then suddenly I'm seeing mine as less of an experience to theirs or you know suddenly mine was problematic and theirs wasn't um and so I just really kind of like researched and like seeked out um the stories which maybe had kind of a few challenges that you know people had to overcome so that I could yeah form a bit of a different opinion about what birth you know really does look like because it's it's not just it's not just birthing pools is it and you know god I really still wish I did I have you know I really still wish that I could have had that experience but um I didn't And so that's why I think I'm really keen to talk openly about my experiences to actually normalize the fact that, you know, some women don't have that experience. And let's see what positives we can take from it or like what positives can you put into the planning in case this happens and then kind of how do you process it afterwards? Oh, Amy, you're talking to a delivery sweet sister. Like I see (laughs) complex birth all the time. And I think quite often we've definitely got to get this like balance with medicalization and not Mm. like it can be used. It's like used when perhaps it's not the best thing for sure, but also it saves lives, right? Childbirth Mm. is, we're now in an era where it's safer than ever. And that's because of medical intervention and things like inductions and cesarean birth. And I feel like we have to get that that balance right. And and I think the more we sometimes push against medicalization, the more we kind of corner ourselves into only looking at that textbook birth. And then, you know, we can't, we can't push out of those walls. And and I think it's really important that we recognize that appropriate use of medical intervention 
is a brilliant thing that actually we should understand and, and learn to accept and embrace as part of normal birth. And I hate that term normal, but we have to normalize all types of birth, right? It, it is all normal yeah. um, and, and natural, however that looks and, and happens, I think. <laughs> Just a quick pause to share an extra tip with you on cesarean section birth. Remember to pack comfortable, loose clothing and big cotton knickers. So there is nothing tight or uncomfortable on your scar. For more expert information, sign up to actorclub.co.uk. Yeah, and that's what I had to actually do whilst I was trying to like make this decision of doing early delivery or not with Bo. I was like, am I basically making decisions because I am so so I so so want this like birth experience mm. am I making decisions because it's something that I really want as opposed to looking at the numbers about what's safest right now and when I actually kind of like you know sat down with a pen and paper and I was like what's safest for me what's safest for baby like what do the studies say and you know and I asked for all the risks and the benefits and I used my brain um brilliant tool the brain tool love it love it nice and balanced um it was actually then that I realized that you know getting Bo here early and in that cesarean you know through a cesarean was the safest option for both of us um and then that's when I then was like right but how do I still make this experience something that is also healthy and happy for me because that's obviously what I didn't have the first time so I was like I need to make sure we both come out of this healthy and that means both physically and mentally so where do we go from here yeah amazing Amy can I take you back to your cesarean birth and can you you just sort of describe to me what that what that looked like what that felt like for you so I've done um quite a lot of research um about um gentle c-sections so when I knew that I was I'd been booked in um for one I'd so I'd heard the term banded about and you give it a google and it seems to be that it's just like an overarching term for doing things in a bit more of a calm I would say like a calm situation with also um various kind of preferences um included so and people have different preferences so it seems to be there's no one definition of a gentle c-section and correct me if I'm wrong um but it was kind of like you could put in all of these preferences and then it's classed as a gentle c-section one of the main things was um that they try and walk the baby out and I then kind of went on a bit of like an internet down an internet rabbit hole definitely on Instagram (laughs) watching babies being walked out um and so I saw that and I was like gosh that really that feels like something which feels that that would feel really good for me because one of the things that I really wanted to try and you know help Bo with was um having the squeeze when because obviously they don't get squeezed when they have the c-section and then as far as I'm aware that can be where the complications can come from with um lungs and breathing um because of all the fluid and you so did all your what, research Amy I'm super <laughs> impressed I'm super impressed I love it <laughs> um so when I saw these videos and then I understood more about the rationale that actually you know 
the having the squeeze is really good for the baby um for their lungs but also for their nervous systems and actually not creating such a big cut for mum is also helps with recovery um that's kind of when I was like right I'm really into this whole gentle c-section approach um and I started to kind of like unpick what other people had done and put together my list of preferences um which was on the Friday and then I frantically tried to get hold of the community midwife um and actually somebody phoned me back on Friday night and I was like can I do this can I do that and went through the list and put it all down um, of what I would really like to happen. And so when I arrived on the Monday, I had my um, A4 sheet printed out and I had multiple copies printed out so I could kind of share them with people. Mm. And it was like the universe had my back that day because I went onto this ward and I arrived and they said to me, oh, we've got a little bit of a problem, which you never want to hear at 7am on a Monday morning. When you've just got your head in this space, right? You just planned all of this. Just arrived at hospital, got a little bit of a problem. Um, You haven't had a COVID test. And I was like, no, I haven't. Um, But I had COVID in January and they were like, okay, so we're just going to have to like, we just need to put you in this room and just seal off this section of the ward whilst we figure out how we need to like, do this today because obviously you could have covid so um let's just go speak to the lab anyway they put um put my husband and i ted in this room and went off and spoke to the lab and in the meantime um i'd asked uh the midwife to read my notes because they'd also tried to show me into the room where my last labor had started and i was like that's just like makes me cringe no um and i and i had all of this like I said is this giant fragile Mm. stamp across my all my notes so I just you know I asked very politely for her to go and read them um while she was phoning the lab about COVID and anyway so she read them and she came back and she was like I am so sorry um let's get you in another room let's press reset um it does mean that with the COVID because you've had COVID we can't COVID swab you today because you could be showing as positive even though you don't have it so it means that you're just going to stay in this room anyway so it meant that I had my own wing of the maternity ward in Winchester delightful. essentially <laughs> delightful um and so we kind of just hung out by ourselves and then she said oh you know the anesthetist will be around to talk to you and then the consultant will be around to talk to you as well anyway I wasn't expecting um the consultant who walked in to walk in because who walked in was the lovely consultant from the day assessment unit who had broken the news of um, needing to have the c-section and she'd been called in on the monday to cover somebody's shift um and she walked in and she was like hello and I was just like I literally was just welling up Amy I've actually got goosebumps because I can feel like as as you in that situation that like that relief must have just been incredible you knew you were going to be listened to and you were going to be heard yeah and because I'd seen her three times in day assessment and also um there'd been various things that happened along the way and she she'd just been part of this whole journey and she understood how like it was real it was a it was a really really tough experience to be back in that hospital for me and so anyway so she said right let's go through your preferences um and let's see what we can do and anyway she basically explained to me that um there was one of them so I'd asked for um delayed cord clamping 
um, to be done. And that was really important for me because that didn't happen with Huxley. And um, with Bo, I just I just really wanted it to happen if possible, because it just makes sense to me. Yeah. And um, it just feels like one of those things that I'm, I look at and I'm like, actually, that's not just that feels like a, there's just so many benefits to it that I, that I'm on board with. So I asked for the delayed cord clamping and she said, you know, the issue that we have is we don't like to um, actually do proper delayed cord clamping in theatre because it's much colder than in a normal delivery suite and obviously you're open the baby's in loads of liquid and so we'll do the best that we can but you know normally what happens is we do a certain amount of time but we don't normally um, leave the whole cord attached until it's all gone white um, I think she said they leave it a minute and then they cut the cord to um, a length which then dad cuts shorter and I was like oh okay um that's just a bit of a shame because I was hoping that like Ted could properly cut the cord not just like a shortened version of it mm. and which it's all detail isn't it but I think when you're so you know you haven't had the experience you wanted before like this detail really matters mm. and so um but I understood her reasons why and I said okay I totally understand and then I'd asked for um him to be put straight on my chest um rather than them doing the rubbing down in the checks because one of my friends said to me when I was pregnant with Huxley she said the moment that your gooey baby is put on you she was like it's the best moment in the whole world and she was like you'll remember it for your whole life and welling up and um and obviously I didn't get that yeah so I was like I really want to try and get that moment if I can and so I asked her about that and she said um again we will try and do that but because the theatre is really cold we do like to rub them down and wrap them up in towels and we will put him on you as soon as possible um but all the other checks can be done in the back in the room and so she was like you don't need to be separated we can 100% do that he no he does not need to be weighed as soon as he um comes out that's normally just like hospital protocol to get the births registered um so I think it's like a time and efficiency Mm, yeah yeah it's not, um, it's not the best thing for mum or baby. It's the best thing for hospital policy. Yeah. And so um, she said, no, we don't need to do that because that, that was one of my preferences. Can can we do all of the checks that aren't necessary um, back in the room? And so she went away. And anyway, I didn't know this was happening, but they'd gone into theatre and they discussed how they could basically change the um, the setup of the curtain to actually facilitate having the cord still attached and then him on my chest and it was something that they just don't normally do but because I'd requested it and she obviously knew my reasons why she just went away and like figured it out and problem solved and so um this is very long I'm sorry um and so we went into theatre and um we had Lighthouse Family playing um lifted and uh, um, (laughs) great choice great choice yeah and then we I had um the anesthetic done and uh, this isn't on Instagram because I kind of didn't want to scare anyone but um I had another high spinal experience and so I know what is your back doing (laughs) well I know there's something going on with it um but luckily enough because they knew the backstory they caught it just in time and so actually it was fine they sorted out and um, the pain the anesthetic and then I when that was all calm um, and there was no more drama 
they let me down and that's when the kind of the positive experience really did start and I'd asked them not to do um I'd asked for like no kind of theatre chat over my head um and I I just because I just really wanted to like zone in on my like breathing and my music and I just didn't want to know what people were having for lunch like and you shouldn't (laughs) when you're about to birth your baby here what yeah Denise sitting at the weekend (laughs) <laughs> and so exactly and so and you know I'd asked for the lights to be dimmed um and actually they couldn't do that because in a theatre so they just um they think they turned them off and then there was windows and then she had on one spotlight so it was just a really kind of calm environment rather than staring up um at bright lights mm-hmm. and then um little did I know that they'd done this theatre setup with the curtain so actually when they passed them to me she they put him straight on my chest and then they rubbed him down on my chest and um you know the midwife kept doing all the checks to make sure that he was pinking up and he was fine and um his breathing scores were okay and he yeah and he didn't leave me for an hour until we got back to the room um and then they you know then he was taken off me well he wasn't taken off me that's the wrong phrase actually then when I was ready we I handed him over they weighed him um and that was that so so yeah it was that kind of that calm experience in theatre that I just didn't I I just hadn't imagined that that could happen Mm. and also when she did the incision she did actually do a much smaller incision and they tried to um walk him out but unfortunately my children have very large heads and so um he wasn't coming out that easily and so she did actually have to make it slightly bigger on one on one side to get out his very large head um but yeah it was it was amazing and it was calm and there was the music and it was just us and he stayed with me and it was everything i suppose that that kind of like final pushing stage is just in a just in a different it just looked different um but I felt like we emulated as much of the kind of the final stages of labor as possible and that's what I walked away from going yeah that was positive that was positive and looking back now obviously it was a super sounds it sounds beautiful Amy it sounds beautiful and empowering and like you were really listened to and you had individualized Mm. birthing care which is so important Looking back at it now, do you think that your birth with Bo has gone some way to heal your birth with Huxley? I know that was like awfully traumatic and there's mm. so many pieces to that puzzle, but do you think it's played a part in helping you heal? Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Yeah, I really do because I think um, I think it has for two reasons. Number one, I got to have that kind of like newborn bubble, and mm-hmm. I just didn't have it with Huxley. And the more I speak to to speak to women who have had traumatic experiences they're like yeah I didn't have it either and I felt and I constantly felt guilty about that at the time um but I was just in survival mode for god six months I would say um 
And so with Bo, I, well, I had it, but I, I also feel, do feel a little bit guilty that I didn't have it with Huxley because I think having a calm birth and having the newborn bubble made me realise what I'd missed out on before. Mm, um, double-ended sword, isn't it, in that, in that yeah. aspect? It's hard. It is really hard, but it also has helped me. It definitely helped me heal from that experience because it's helped me realise that actually a lot of that was out of my control. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, it wasn't about the, it wasn't about my terrible choices. It wasn't about like my body failing me. It was about, unfortunately, a bad run of events. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I suppose this birth, like, reinstilled my confidence in myself, in my decisions, in my body. Um, and I just think me as a mum, because I have had that kind of like that newborn experience and just like the feeding the cuddles and the being up but being really present with it and being like you know I can do this and I can do a really good job of it it's just last time I just wasn't in a good place to see that I was doing a good enough job if that makes sense I'm sure I did a brilliant job but I just couldn't see it at the time yeah I always say in the eyes of your baby you are doing the best job like but as ourselves we always like pick ourselves to pieces don't we goes back to that thing what would we say to our best friend probably much nicer things than we're going to say to our to ourselves now Amy, when when we sort of started talking you mentioned that 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 you know fairy lights water birth positive affirmations was plan a do you think you were mourning those physical elements of that birth so that the, the actual fairy lights and actual water immersion or do you think it was those thoughts, those feelings, that feeling safe and calm and empowered? Was that more what you were after rather than those physical things? Because I think so sometimes I think, they get confused. Yeah, so I think it's a bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was under general anaesthetic when Huxley was actually born and I didn't wake up for four hours later. Um, and so I had no awareness that he'd been born and I wasn't even aware. We didn't know that he was a little boy. Like it was meant to be a surprise. And so, um, I missed that whole, I missed the moment. So I think the moment of being like, it's a girl, it's a boy. And like raising your baby up, like, you know, something off the Lion King. I think I really mourned that because I just didn't have that moment And I also think that because I've done so much kind of work on myself over the years and, you know, I love my yoga and, you know, I was very fit up until the end. Like Mm -hmm. I I wanted to feel the like the experience of giving birth and the breathing and all of that. And so to not have that, uh, that's the part when I was like, how has my body failed me? Like I've, I've been doing yogic breathing since I was a kid like my mum and my nan are yoga teachers and so I was just like how have I not been able to do that um and so I think it was I think it was twofold yeah it was the actual the the missing the things that you see on social media mm. and then also the not getting to experience the feeling um because I really I really wanted that feeling and do you think you've healed those feelings because you did you did feel giving birth? I know it was abdominally, not vaginally, but but you who who says that one is above the other? You know, they should both, in my opinion, be equally as empowering and incredible as a woman. So 
I think I've gone a long way. I don't think I've totally healed them. I think I've made peace with it. Okay. Um, because I think I was wedded to a reality and um, re- wedded to a fantasy that was never going to be a reality. Like the facts are, is that my body can only cope with pregnancy up until 36 weeks. And then I get to 36 weeks and, you know, my liver just can't cope, which is why I develop obstetric cholestasis. And so when you start looking at the facts, you go, well, that birth is is never going to really exist in your life because the women that are having those births haven't got the complications. And actually your reality is that you've got the complications. And so what is the best case scenario um, for, for that situation? And so when I talk to myself rationally like that, I definitely go, you know, it was amazing. I feel healed. And then I see pictures and I, and you know, I'm really honest about it. I see Mm -hmm. pictures and I do go, God, I would still have loved that experience. And I'm, you know, just because I think I would have really enjoyed it. Not that I think that that experience is better than the one that I had. I just think I'd have really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's interesting. And also the fact that if someone with obstetric cholestasis, let's say, I don't know, three, maybe four generations ago, we wouldn't have necessarily identified and known how to manage obstetric cholestasis. And actually you probably wouldn't have given birth to a wonderful, healthy little boy. That's our reality, isn't it? Whereas now it wasn't the birth experience that was plan A, but you're still able to have a lovely, healthy pregnancy and a positive birth experience and a healthy baby at the end. So actually that's a massive win, isn't it? I think. And we, yeah, and we were both healthy out of it. Mm. And so that is the massive win about this decision. And I was, I was present. I was listened to. I, you know, I got as many of the press, actually I got all of my list of preferences because that woman she's like my angel that consultant um and I spoke to her afterwards actually I dropped her in a card and she phoned me up and I just said I appreciate like how tough it is and for you to create to go above and beyond to create that experience for me just means so much and and then she was crying on the phone and she was just like it is really tough at the moment but you know this is why I went into this career because you know I wanted to give the best possible care um to women as possible and you know that was the best care that I could give you so I just had to make it happen um and so yeah that was that was an amazing phone Mm. call because I just felt like she, she she got something out of it too um, because I think that she, you know, as she said, she is so stretched and she's giving care that isn't not not saying that it's not always the best possible, but potentially doesn't align with um, her kind of her wishes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that day she got to got to do something with her profession to help, you know, to help me, to help Bo. And yeah, it was it was magic. And they're all they're all talking about it on the, on the maternity ward because the midwife was just like, "This has never happened. We've never like we've never walked a baby out, and we've he's never still been attached. And Aww. why don't we do the checks back in the room? Why don't we just let mum and baby like be there together rather than you know having have like wrapping them up in towels because that's just what we do because mm. I think that's what they realized out of it is that actually yes sometimes 
you know, that baby might need to not go straight to mum because maybe the baby does need a bit of help or maybe the baby is too cold and the baby does need to be wrapped up in towels and then that's the safest thing. But actually, until that presents, surely the other, you know, there's an argument that baby can be on mum and yeah. you can be together. Um, but then if something presents, then actually, you know, go to the next go to the next kind of option oh 100 amy like 25 percent of women have cesarean birth it's about time we change things and that we yeah. like for anyone listening who's a healthcare professional those those things that you just said that you felt listened to you felt heard you were empowered as an individual not just a statistic coming in for a planned cesarean section that's where things have to change i think that's where it's super game changing in terms of making sure that all birth is is empowering is making sure every woman is treated as an individual and is listened and is heard and respected. You know, those wants and choices are are, are respected and those conversations happen because it's so important. And um, I think it's for, from like a, sorry to jump in, but I think from a kind of like a patient um, standpoint, you just have to feel confident enough to be able to have those conversations. And I think that that's what a few women have um, reached out to me and said like, God, I'd love to have these preferences, but how how do I go about it? Mm. And the thing is, you just have to ask, I think, and you just have to be able to you have to be able to articulate your wishes, and I think with a rationale, but then also be open to actually some of them they might not be able to facilitate because of hospital policy and you know when you are given birth in the NHS and it's not a private hospital like you know you can't call all the shots but if there is no reason why and it's just the way that things have been done or it's just the way that this consultant has normally done things then then there is the conversation to say well actually like how could we facilitate this and if your hospital can't facilitate what you're after then you know you've got the right to give birth wherever you want so you could go to another hospital within your um your kind of like area couldn't you I mean we could go to Scotland but I don't think that's a good idea um just because of the distance (laughs) we're gonna have a lot lot of babies coming out on the uh on the motorways now Amy (laughs) (laughs) because I'm heading to Scotland but yeah and so I just found that writing everything down was really helpful and taking that to um any kind of appointments with me um and I would say that if anyone's thinking about a planned cesarean earlier early on like start talking to your midwife now and kind of like get clear on what kind of is you can do um in your local hospital and they can also facilitate the conversations with um like the consultant midwives and those type of people can't they so that yeah. um, and having it know. written down is brilliant because it's clear as day for everybody so it's really nice yeah. everyone's on the same page you know it's it's an easy discussion on the day because it's there in black and white and actually I would encourage perhaps even women that are planning a vaginal birth is we know that mm. there's always that risk of an unplanned cesarean or like you Amy two days before things change up so actually <laughs> why not think about you know I always say plan for birth A to Z, let's include actually some preferences that would be important to you if you did give birth by cesarean. Yeah. And, and do, you know, do you know what? I even said, um, so my nan had knitted Huxley a hat and I wanted to put the same hat on Bo. Yeah. And so, because I thought about what was really important to me, um, like emotionally as well as physically from this birth. And, and, and that 
kind of sat under that the emotional bucket or sat in the emotional bucket and so I I even said that to them because I was like you know can you um rather than having um one of the hats put on that the hospital provides which are so sweet um but I just felt like we didn't need another knitted hat my nan had knitted this hat for Huxley I wanted to put it on my next baby and um actually what I then was told was uh we're really sorry we have to put a red hat on the baby when he's born because you've had anesthetic so we just need to know oh. that um yeah so when we come around to do the checks it's flagged up that you know your baby's had an anesthetic and because I'd had that conversation and they'd actually explained the reason why I felt okay about it but had I have taken the hat and then I tried to put the hat on and then they'd said no and not really had and not understood I would have felt really frustrated so I just think that if there's anything that you feel is important to you um to the women listening in even if it's really you think it's a really small thing um pop it on your list and ask and like I took um I took one of Huxley's cuddly toys into theatre because I knew I was going to struggle um with having the epidural put in my back or oh, the spinal block sorry yeah. I knew that I'd find that probably one of the most distressing moments about that was going to um, be a, tr- a potential um, trigger I guess yeah and so I just asked if I could take in one of his um cuddly toys and I just took his little lamb and they said yeah absolutely fine and so I sat there whilst they were doing the spinal block and I was just holding it with my eyes closed and um doing the breathing and that just helped me help me feel really safe so I think it's just thinking about what other people have done that you think that you would like to replicate in your birth when researching um if that's possible and then also what really matters to you yeah I love that and often it's the small things that make the biggest difference isn't it so yeah. never, never underestimate those those small little things now yeah. Amy I just wonder now obviously with Huxley's birth you went into the fourth trimester with a whole lot of trauma a whole lot of mental scarring that that later on needed unpicking and trying to heal how was that different this time with Bo having had the birth you had oh it was completely different mm. like I like I said earlier it made me realize that I didn't have the newborn bubble with um, Huxley, but then I was suddenly in it with Bo and my God, it was amazing. And I didn't want to go anywhere and I didn't want to see anyone. I just wanted to be on the sofa with my tiny little baby. And I just binged and binged um, various uh, series online and it was amazing. And I just, I don't know, with, with Huxley, I was so eager to get out and about and I think they just try and kind of feel normal. Probably busy your mind, right? So that you weren't yeah. focusing on what had just happened. You were trying to take yourself elsewhere, I suppose. But with Hux, um, but with Bo, I was like, no, the, the rest of the world doesn't exist to me. I am just happy here. And so that was really different. Um, I'd like to say that I did all the things which I know could help recovery um my pelvic floor squeezes sleeping in the day eating you know, lots all of cake those... yeah <laughs> I didn't um <laughs> I could have done my pelvic floor squeezes on the sofa but I just do you know what I just I just didn't I just wanted to be and so for the first couple of weeks that's all I did um and then unfortunately and I know a lot of mums with two 
will understand this. And there is a big difference when you have your second to your first because you've still got to look after your first. So, you know, there are times in the day when you can't just lie on the sofa. Um, and then there are also the lovely nursery bugs that they bring home um just to kind of like pull you right out of your newborn bubble and so we had all of that going on but it was still it was still amazing just to just to be together um but the the one thing that I would say that we did do differently in the fourth trimester was I was a lot more open to help from my husband with like feeds and night times and just being away from Bo so when I say away I mean like in the guest bedroom um I didn't go check myself into a hotel although there were times oh, when <laughs> nice I, know, I wish I did um <laughs> but with Huxley I just I felt like I couldn't do that and I felt like I had to be the one that did everything mm. whereas with Bo I was like if I don't do this one feed or if Ted you know if Ted does this part of the night that's not a bad thing that's a great help yeah. um and so, yeah, so I just said, I've just said yes to a lot more help. And, you know, it's just been great. <laughs> and that, I mean, that change in your mindset and the way that you've been in that postpartum has to be linked to those, those births, doesn't it? That need to yeah. be with Huxley because you didn't have that. And then that, yeah. that ability to be relaxed into accepting help and having a, he- a healthy distance from, from Bo at times, you know, to protect your well-being that just has to be linked to having had that incredible first bonding experience, doesn't it? Like it, it must be. Yeah. Feeling okay without, with not being the person who does everything 24 seven. And I wasn't, you know, Ted was brilliant with Huxley and helped so much or, you know, I don't even want to say helped because it feels like he was helping me out. He just mucked in and like parenting. He was a dad. He was being his dad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I, I was so protective over the feeding and what what Huxley had to be doing and when and all mm. of things like that um that I just wasn't like that with Bo and what I would say with Bo with the fourth trimester one of the things that we did do um and I think this will probably be like my a bit of advice that I would pass on to other women was that I realized that my shower is like my thing in the day that can make everything okay it's like a um, therapy session isn't it in the shower yeah. <laughs> oh god I've had I've had some moments in our shower <laughs> um but we figured out how I could always get my shower mm. and we kind of have this like unwritten rule that you just don't um interrupt the shower um so we just you know and we we had the timetable like how we would both have showers with the two kids um but we just made sure that that happened and that was you know in those early weeks when you're feeding sometimes every 90 minutes um so it's so relentless but just to at one point in the day to press pause on all of that and to know that whatever happens whilst I'm in the shower in the bathroom for 20 30 minutes (laughs) isn't my problem and that made such a difference whereas I think with Huxley I'd like run out the shower and I'd be like I need to feed him right now whereas you know actually he could wait 10 minutes and Ted you know and Ted could bounce him about and there might be a few tears yeah but (laughs) it's okay and um yeah that I think that's that's the one thing that I've realized is that you know that was really important to me how Mm. did we make that happen and it's okay that there are tears like sometimes you just can't avoid them um but as long as everyone is safe and loved and you know 
fed and watered and all of that, then it's okay. Yeah, have have that shower. It's it's not selfish. It's it's self love, which is a complete necessity. It's not an indulgence. Like we need that. We have yeah. human needs as well. And I was always find it interesting because I feel like as mums, we we totally count like a drink or a shower as and like it's a bit of an indulgence or a bit of like me time but yeah. people on death row or like prisoners are allowed hydration and, and to wash <laughs> it's ridiculous yeah. that we feel like we can't have that as mums and, and it's probably the only 10 20 minutes 10 20 30 however long you get um in your whole 24 hour period when actually you get to mentally just like shut everything mm. off if, if you know if you've got somebody who can be there with the kids and just have a bit of you time and I realized because I'm not I wasn't doing any exercise I wasn't leaving the house by myself um and this time around I haven't been out with the pram um that much because obviously I've got Huxley and I've just got other stuff to do and so that was my that was my one sacred thing in the 24 hours that I knew that if I had my shower and I could either cry just or like put a podcast on um with a speaker or you know just whatever that was my time to mm. just to be I love that I love that Amy can I ask you before I let you go because I know you're super busy just for three top tips for mums who might be planning a cesarean birth okay so number one I would say go around your house um and put everything at like hand level so that you're not having to like reach above or reach down um, to pick things up because that's what I really struggled with. A friend actually gave me a litter picker to be able to like pick (laughs) things up off the floor, um, which was I thought was genius, but it is also quite hard to kind of have baby and a litter picker on you at all times. Um, So I would just move everything if you can into like, if you've got a chest of drawers and you know that you're gonna wear things, which is normally in the bottom drawer, put it in the top drawer so you don't have to bend go into your kitchen go into your kitchen and you know for the time being have a couple of teacups and your tea bags and your coffee or whatever out on the side so it's just not at like kind of reaching above level um same in like you know fridge and those type of things so I would definitely spend a bit of time just thinking about what do I need on a daily basis and is it accessible um secondly I would say wear something into hospital which you can wear back out again um so I wore a jumpsuit because I knew that actually it was it had poppers on the front and it wouldn't um, rub on my scarf and I knew it was easy to get on so I would probably avoid like leggings and things that kind of you really have to pull up I didn't really start wearing them actually until about six weeks afterwards um Mm. I kind of tried to opt for looser things just because I didn't want to do the struggle of trying to pull things up um and so yeah so I'd say wear something like a jumpsuit in that's all like a dress because then you can just chuck it on and um you know that it's got no buttons and then lastly I would say oh give people visiting hours so you are well within your right like it's lovely that everyone wants to come over and they say that they'll come over to do things. But the reality is you will end up making people tea and just Once sitting around <laughs> as they cuddle your baby. Um, and so they might bring over some food and a lovely friend of mine baked a pie um, and brought it over. But, you know, it's still you've still got visitors. So just have 
be totally okay in yourself and know that it's okay to say I would love to see you um what would work for me is between two and two thirty or what would work for, for me is between nine and ten um and put a time limit on it because of course they're going to want to hang out and cuddle your new gorgeous baby who doesn't want to cuddle the new gorgeous baby but actually that nap time might be your normal shower time or like your time when you could have a like a rest and so yeah just be really honest with yourself about what you need um or you might say to them yes please come over for the whole afternoon I could really do with a bit of help (laughs) Um, but yeah yeah choose choose your visitors wisely I think (laughs) yeah exactly and yeah just say people offer and be okay about saying yes so um so yeah they they would they would be my tips Amy, thank you so much for coming on to chat and for sharing Mm. such a personal experience that I know is going to help so many women who are, you know, planning for either an unplanned or an unplanned cesarean birth, but making sure that that birth is still incredibly empowering. And as part of the mission to make sure that when every woman gives birth, they feel like superwoman and that we abolish this feeling of, you know, having failed or being let down by our bodies because it's just impossible and we should not let those words out of our mouths. So thank you for shouting about your lovely birth. Thank you for having me on. And also there's obviously some kind of like magic touch coming through Zoom (laughs) and being sent upstairs to Bo because I messaged you before this show and was like, I don't know how I'm going to manage to record this because Bo is not napping and he's, you know, he's changing things up today. So we'll have to see how we go. And now I'm looking at my baby camera and it's like, Hey, mum, I was helped to sleep two hours and 15 minutes ago. So um, can we just can we just zoom every day Absolutely so we fine. can get this long nap thing? Like, Sounds good. In fact, actually, Amy, if we could do it overnight, that would work even better for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe we'll just have to like do recordings and like play them to each other or something. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, whilst Bo is asleep, please have a nice drink and put your feet up and chill out for a little okay. bit while you can. <laughs> Um, thank you so much for having me on and thank you to everyone for listening Um, I am more than happy to answer any questions about gentle c-sections on Instagram so if you do want to pop up in my DMs um, to ask anything um, obviously I can't give out medical advice but I can share like anything more on preferences which um, I put forward Um, and if not congratulations on your pregnancies and wishing you all a really positive birth experience Oh, Amy, you're a star. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in today. I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I'd be hugely grateful if you could take a moment to leave a quick review. It honestly means the world to me to hear from you as a listener. And of course, to ensure you don't miss upcoming episodes, hit subscribe too. Remember, I'm here to support you through pregnancy, birth and beyond through my range of pregnancy, birth prep and postpartum courses at midwifepip.com. I hope to get to know you better and to help you on your empowering journey soon.
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.